Well, good morning. Would you join me in opening up a Bible to Psalm chapter 1? It's page 448 on the Blue Pew Bible, if you want to follow along there. Uh, my voice is back. It's not 100%. Um, I've been at an octave lower all week, and I haven't gotten back to my soprano voice uh, for the worship yet, but um, I have found that when I start getting excited and passionate, then my voice starts to kind of break and go, and I start to cough. So this morning, I'm going to be chill. I'm going to be trying to keep it monotone today. Um, but I hope, I know I'm reminded this week, and I hope you are too, that the truth of God's word is not contingent on the quality of my voice, the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, not contingent on my personal passion. So trusting that this morning. And we come to Psalm 1, which is amongst the most familiar of the Psalms. If you had a kind of short list of Psalms that you're familiar with, you've heard a lot. Psalm 1 is near or at top of the list, primarily because... It's Psalm 1. It's the first chapter, and just like the first chapter of any book, certainly any book in the Bible, we tend to be the most familiar with because of the amount of times that we've started a study, maybe a Bible reading plan in a given book, and we tend to always start at the beginning. But Psalm 1's interesting in that uh, just because it's familiar um, does not offset the fact that Psalm 1 can be um, misleading to many. It could be a little confusing at times, even to, and sometimes especially long-term believers who are gospel people, the centrality of the gospel, of trying to how to understand what is Psalm 1 saying. So what is Psalm 1 all about? How can it be misleading? And then what is the way to understand it? That's kind of our map for this morning. And I'm going to read it. It's six verses. You can follow along in the Bible or also be on the screen behind me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. When I say Psalm 1 can be misleading, I don't mean that the Lord is misleading or it's intentionally trying to be misleading, but rather in our day, that message of Psalm 1 can confirm or seem to confirm the stereotypical view of what religion is and what it's for. If you were to go downtown Ridgewood after church for brunch or lunch, and you'd ask a stranger, hey, what do you think the point of religion is? What's religion for? What does religion say? The most common response you'd hear is that religion teaches this. You, you do good things, and therefore you're a good person, and if you're good enough, you'll get a reward from the God or the gods that you believe in. On the other side, you do bad things, you're considered a bad person, and you get punished from the God or gods you believe in. Live a good life, you get a reward. 
Live a bad life, you get punished. And the reason why, that is a very stereotypical view, a response that you'd probably get if you asked a stranger on the street, is because that is indeed the foundation of nearly every religion in the world. But is that what Christianity teaches? Is that what Psalm 1 teaches? Because it can seem like that's what Psalm 1 just said. That's what we want to unpack this morning. And, and Psalm 1 does contain what, what is often called the doctrine of two ways. The, the doctrine of two ways, which is uh, seen throughout Scripture. And that there are, uh, in the world, there are two kinds of people. There are two ways to live. There are two roads to walk. And all of us are on one or the other. There's no spectrum. There's no middle ground. It's the doctrine of two ways. Um, in American culture, uh, one thing that might come to mind, I know it did for me, is that one of the most famous poems ever written in American culture was written in 1915 by name, a man named Robert Frost. And most of you, I don't know if they're still teaching it, elementary school, middle school, you learn this poem. It's called The Road Not Taken. And the opening stanza will have up on the screen that most of you know. Two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Two ways, two roads. Psalm 1 is perhaps the most stark example of the doctrine of two ways, and it's these portraits, we'll call it this. There is the wise man, and there is the wicked man. The wise man gets rewarded. The wicked man gets punished. And unfortunately, all too often, even in churches, this is the way it goes. There's the wise man and the wicked man. Let's all try to be the wise man. Amen. Go home. It's a terrible sermon. That would be terrible news. So, so, so if that's not what it's saying, what, where does that leave us? If that's the wrong way, what is the right way? And the question does kind of remain for us as we read this, um, which portrait are you? Are you the wise man, woman, or are you the wicked man? And how does it happen? As we break into it, I think the most important word is the first word. The first word of Psalm 1, representing the first word of the entire Psalter, is the word blessed or blessed. It's an intentional and incredible way to begin this psalm. And again, to begin all the psalms. It's the Hebrew word ashray. And the literal meaning is happy. Happy is the man. But because in our English language, uh, happy doesn't kind of have the weight that what the Hebrew word is kind of trying to get across here, that it's translated blessed, but we could call it, let's call it this, supremely happy. Supremely happy is the man. Blessed is the man. Psalm 1 is an introduction psalm. It is a prologue that all is about to come in the 150 songs or poems that make up this book. And again, it starts with a very clear description of the wise man who is the blessed man, the supremely happy man. And then the rest of the 149 psalms is the explainer of how that happens and what it looks like, right? Psalm 1 is the intro. It outlines it, and the rest of the psalms color it in. By the way, we see this again in the Bible. We see it in the New Testament. The most famous sermon 
that has ever been recorded is a sermon spoken by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 called the Sermon on the Mount. A couple years ago, we spent six months going through the Sermon on the Mount. What is the first word of the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed, happy, supremely happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the rest of the sermon, three chapters worth, flesh out that singular point. It's a strong introduction in Psalm 1 in the Sermon on the Mount, the kind of introduction that makes you lean in, that makes you say, okay, let's go. Right? You think about a movie or a show or a book, maybe to a lesser extent, a sermon or a lecture at school. If you get a great first couple minutes, You get a first opening scene, you get a great chapter one that straightens you up and immediately says, amen. Like we love being drawn in like that. We love being kind of drawn in through the mind and that affects the heart that says, I want to keep going. We're ready. Blessed is the man. Do you know why Psalm 1 still preaches in 2022? This is one of the thousand reasons why the Bible always has been, always will be, the most purchased, the most read, the most studied book in human history, is that you could open your phone right now, if I had everybody pull out their phone, and you go to Google, or you go to your favorite search engine, and as we all know, when you begin to type into Google, what happens? It begins to autofill, it begins to predict what you're looking for, anticipating what you want to search. And those autofills are based on algorithms, most common or popular searches. If you were to go into Google and type, how can I, you know what the number one option that pops up? How can I be happy? By the way, you know what number two was? At least for me on that day, it was how can I make money from home? If that one-two punch does not tell you the mindset and heart of our world right now, I don't know what else does. And, and I know some of you are actually making a mental note, like, you know, I'm just going to check that out this afternoon. <laughs> just do my due diligence to see what's out there. But I, I don't say that. How can I be happy being number one as a way to kind of say a gotcha or a ridicule to the world? Ironically, that actually, I, it kind of took me off guard as I was studying and just uh, researching this. It made me sad. It made me sad in a way that I didn't fully expect that the algorithms are telling us the sheer amount of people every day get to a point in their life, get to a point in their day when they sit down and they take out their phone and they ask their browser, how can I be happy? In that way, isn't it true that search engines on our phones are the truth serum of our day? They tend to reveal what we care about, think about, and desire most. And there is a unifying desire that all people have to be supremely happy. Because God created all people, made in his image, and we naturally create or created to live to be happy. Hear me, we don't have to feel guilty about that. You don't have to feel guilty about the fact that you want to live a life where you are supremely happy. God gave you that desire. He created you with that desire, along with everybody else. 
And along with that, the Bible says that this happiness, it's not inevitable. You're not just going to drift your way into it. Nor is it unreachable. And so the deep question that everyone will ask is, where can I get it? Where do I look for it? And again, Psalm 1, in a way that just kind of introduces, does lay it out for us, starting with, number one, how not to be blessed. It's a very creative outline today. Number one, how not to be blessed. After beginning with, um, blessed be the man, the psalmist follows with three negative statements, and you might ask right out of the gate, what's up with that? Like, we want to know what we need to do. Tell me what I need to do. Why are you going to start by telling me what not to do, what to avoid? And yet we are first told what happiness does not look like. By the way, don't the Ten Commandments work in the same way? Eight of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, negative statements. Why? I think one reason is that God knows what we are prone to do. And so he clearly lays out a picture of what disobedience and rebellion looks like. And here in Psalm 1, we see a picture of the man who is not happy. He who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Many of you know the Psalms, Hebrew poetry is big on parallelism, saying the same things in repeated lines. This could be three different ways of saying the same thing. Or I think the psalmist is also indicating a downward progression a downward spiral of one who tries to find happiness in themselves. First, walking and being drawn in by the mind through the counsel of the wicked, walking towards, being drawn in by. Next, standing secure in a way of life of sinners. I'm secure, I'm standing on my two feet in this life. Downward spiral. And then finally, Sitting as one established in a perspective, in a life that is outside of God. And now, as the one who is sitting, because in ancient Israel culture, the rabbi sat as they taught and everybody else stood, basically the inverse of what's happening right now. And the one who is sitting is established, they're not going anywhere, and now they are deploying the same wicked counsel to draw others in. Downward spiral. This is the person who is not happy. But Psalm 1 calls this person wicked. And if you read that and you hear the word wicked, unless you're from New England where for some reason it's a positive use, all right? I've never figured that one out. But outside of New England, what comes to mind when you hear wicked? That person is wicked. If you're like me, you think of someone who's like really bad. They've done some messed up stuff. Like the really evil people are wicked. And yet the key to Psalm 1 is knowing that wicked is not defined by outward behavior, but rather by relation to and love for God. This is really important for Psalm 1, that the one who is not blessed is not blessed, namely, because God is not their primary love and their anchor. That is wickedness to Psalm 1, meaning their love for something else 
surpasses their love for God. It could be love for themselves, often the case, their love for money, their love for sex, their love for uh, pride, their love for even religion surpasses their love for God. But the language, especially today, of what this might look like is someone who's often considered to be having perfectly acceptable behavior in our eyes. So, so let me pick up on what I spoke earlier of the Google search. Um, if you were to go in and it would autofill, how can I be happy? I clicked on it. How can I be happy? And the number one result is a list on your Google search engine. It's from the NHS. The National Health Service has the answer for how you can be happy. You ready for the list? It's six things. And I'll have it up on the screen. Number one, manage your stress levels through effective time management. Number two, enjoy yourself. <laughs> no, number three, boost your self-esteem. Number four, have a healthy lifestyle. Number five, talk and share. Number six, build your resilience. So, okay, so here's the thing about that list. Honestly, in and of itself, that's a solid list. Those are, those are good things. Those are, that's not sin. Those things are not sinful in and of themselves. There is actually room for conversation and wisdom for Christians to talk about time management to talk about living for today. Today, this is the day the Lord has made. Uh, of, of having a uh, healthy outlook on yourself. Having a, a healthy lifestyle. Being resilient. Like I, I find myself on a weekly basis, pastorally, talking about some of those things each and every week with believers. The difference is the anchor. What is the anchor? If that's the anchor, then we're in trouble. What is the foundation of happiness? I would argue that list, if you said that that list is true of someone, that's not necessarily a blessed person. That's a person with favorable circumstances, with a pretty favorable circumstance at that season of their life. Uh, so if you went to work tomorrow and uh, think about a man or a woman that you work with, and may maybe the person I describe is somebody that you very much do work with, maybe you are this person, um, great time management. Just always, like never feel hurried, never feel behind, always just getting things done when they need to get done. They seem to be happy and chipper even on Monday mornings. Like Monday morning, they're just happy to be there. Like they've had their coffee, they worked out at 4 a.m., they're drinking a latte, all right, they're just ready to go on a Monday. They really seem to enjoy life. They have great self-confidence, but they're not cocky about it. They're not conceited. They just have great outlook on their self. Again, they're healthy. They work out every single day. They're honest about people's, you know, their lives, even the things they struggle with. Nothing seems to bother them. What if this coworker also, not in a hostile way, but just had no love for Jesus? Um, no need for religion. They consider themselves increasingly so, especially in our area, a, a nun, N-O-N-E. They're not affiliated with anything. They're just, you know, maybe there's a God, but it's not really impacting their life. They're just trying to live for today. According to Psalm 1, is that person wise or wicked? They're wicked. 
And I understand the discomfort we have in even saying that or believing that. Because in our culture, those kind of absolutist statements are tough to believe, even tougher to say. Don't we want a spectrum? (laughs) We want nuance. We want, yeah, but. Yeah, they don't really seem to love Jesus, but they went when they were a kid, and they've got a great head on their shoulders. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very generous. They're nice people. They would do anything for me. We want a spectrum. We can't get to the place often where we say, Psalm 1 would call that person wicked because wickedness is not about behavior. It's about relationship to God. And it talks about someone who's disconnected from God is like chaff. Chaff is like the things that you'd, you know, you, you throw up in the air, uh, dead kind of uh, plants or from trees, and the, and the wind blows it away. It's got no anchor. They perish. Wickedness, not defined by a spectrum of bad behavior where you get to a certain point, all of a sudden, now you're wicked. You weren't wicked to that point, but you did that. You did that repeatedly, now you're wicked. That's not the way. It's defined. It's defined by our relationship and our love for God. And we all need something deeper than our circumstances, deeper than our natural personality and temperament to be blessed, to be supremely happy. We need an anchor. We need to be rooted somewhere outside of ourselves, which leads to number two, to the creative outline, how to be blessed. How to be blessed or blessed. The picture of the wicked man we saw is walking and then standing and finally sitting in the seat of scoffers. Now the picture of the blessed man is verse 2. He who delights in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Notice again, the trajectory of the wise man is rooted first in the affections, then leading to the actions, and ending with the outcomes. Key part of the wise man, the blessed man. First, the affections. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Then, the actions. He meditates on it day and night. And finally, the outcomes. He's an anchored tree. He's connected to a source of life outside of himself. He is producing fruit, affections, to the actions, to the outcomes. What does that tell us? What does that order tell us? It gives us not only a picture of what the blessed man looks like, but how it happens. What the blessed man needs first is not better behavior. We don't need you to behave better. We don't need you to do more. We don't need you to work for God more. First, it is a transformation of the affections from a source outside of himself. The key to being the wise man is having a transformation of the affections from a source outside of himself that will lead to the actions and produce the outcomes. And I think the reason Psalm 1 starts with the negative statements, how not to be blessed, is because that's where we all start out in life. We don't start good and then at some point along the line become bad. Rather, we all start apart from God. 
What this means is that no one is born into a neutral territory where they decide at some point in their life when they get to be old enough, you know what, I'm going to be righteous or I'm going to be wicked. No, we were all wicked. Born wicked. Meaning, born with the propensity to love things of this world more than God. We didn't have to be taught that. It was our natural drift. It's what's called the sin nature. It is our nature. So the reason we sin is not, let me say this again, the reason we are sinful is not because we've sinned. No, we sin because we're sinful, right? That's not just a play on words. We're not sinful because we have sinned. No, we sin because we are sinful. That is our nature. It's natural. It's natural for us to harm our neighbor so for our gain when necessary. It's natural to pursue happiness without God or at the expense of others. It's natural to love ourselves and our happiness that surpasses our love for God. It's natural to see ourselves as our source of our own happiness. This is the tragedy of sin nature. Always searching, never finding not anchored by a stream of water. No, disconnected, and we become like chaff, and we will perish unless our affections are transformed. Psalm 1 is quite the introduction to the entire book that says true blessing, supreme happiness is not guaranteed, nor is it unreachable. But Psalm 1 is a poem in search of an ending. It is a song in search of a tune. It is a story in search of a hero. And how is it found then? Not trick question. It is by understanding who is the true blessed man in Psalm 1. Who is that describing? In all of its fullness, who is Psalm 1, the wise man in Psalm 1, who is that describing? It is only true of one man. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Where now we look back on this side of the cross and we see this is not a picture of how to be happy in yourself if you do good enough and you have enough self-discipline. But it is a declaration that blessing and happiness cannot be found in anyone outside of Christ. I mentioned in the introduction how Psalm 1 is a stark example of the doctrine of two ways. And that's not just the Old Testament. Jesus himself, in that Sermon on the Mount, taught the doctrine of two ways. Remember, again, he began that psalm the same way, blessed. And then you get to the end of that psalm, and you know how he ends it? He talks about two gates. There's the narrow gate, and there's the wide gate. The wide gate is easy, and it leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. And then there's the narrow gate, and it is hard but it leads to life, and those who find it are few. Right after that, he talks about two trees. There's the tree that bore good fruit, and there's the other one that bears bad fruit. And then, finally, there are two houses. There is the one house built on the rock, and there's a house built on the sand. And there's no middle ground. There's no spectrum. And a wrong view of Jesus' teaching, which is so prolific today on the Sermon on the Mount and in the rest of the Gospels, is to make the same mistake that we can make with Psalm 1. You see it purely in a moralistic way. 
Bad people do bad things. Good people do good things. Good people go to heaven. Bad people go to hell. Be a good person. Be a good person. That's not good news. That's destructive news. That is the same way of the world that's just covered with religious language because the secular version is no better. You be true to yourself. You find fulfillment in yourself. No one can tell you how to live. No one can tell you what's right for you. Don't listen to others. You do you. Love yourself first. You'll know how to live your life. That's the secular version of be a good person and go to heaven. And you might hear it. You might even see it written in certain ways or spoken by certain people where you might hear it and your first initial thought is, yeah, that sounds, sounds good. But deep down, deep down, you'd realize, oh, no. If that's really it, I'm in trouble. If that's really it, you're going to find yourself one day going to Google and saying, how can I be happy? Maybe there's something new out there I can try that wasn't there when I searched it last time. Psalm 1 is a blanket for your soul the moment you see the call to be wise is not a command to be feared, but an invitation to be accepted. Psalm 1 becomes this this blanket for your soul. I don't know how else to say it, but the moment that this is, that the the moment to, to follow Jesus is not primarily a command you have to follow, but it's an invitation to be accepted. Come, those who are weary, and I will give you rest. The two ways is not those who are good and those who are bad in their behavior. The two ways is truly those who know they're bad and are broken up because of it and they seek refuge in Christ and those who refuse and seek to justify themselves. This is the meaning of blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God sent his son to the cross not to shame you and rule over you but to draw you in with his sacrificial love. He died to provide payment for and provision for the inner problem we all have. How can I be supremely happy? And Psalm 1 ends with the line that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows you. And he knows the only way to blessedness is by a direct connection to the source of blessing himself. And so our hope for all of us, our hope for all of you, for all of our children, is that you would be known by God, that you would accept the invitation to know him, know that you were made by him and for him, and that you will be restless and you will be empty and unhappy if you pursue your desires outside of the God who loved you so much that he sent his only son to die so that you may live. Rather than working for God, let us look to God who invites us to himself. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, how it creates a thirst and a hunger in our hearts that only you can satisfy. Father, forgive us for looking for our deep, supreme joy and happiness anywhere outside of you. Father, I pray that we would be anchored this morning. 
I pray especially for anyone in this room or who's listening to this, Lord, online that who has not made that decision to repent of their sin and to follow you as, in, as the acceptance of an invitation, Lord, that you would, in your spirit, would come upon their hearts now to allow them to see the beauty of repentance and surrender to you. Father, let us be anchored by you, through you, and for you. And we pray, Lord, that salvation will come to this place. And we pray, Lord, for those who are anchored by your Son, Lord, I pray that you would draw us even closer to you, Lord, deeper still. And that we would affirm in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that you are enough for us. That you are all we have because you are all we need. Lord, let us cling to it every day. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand as we respond in song and prepare for the Lord's Supper?